First Samuel, switching it up. <coughs> so, I am hoping that you did your homework maybe this week and you know what First Samuel is. Old Testament, after the book of Ruth. So if you see somebody really fumbling around, you're automatically not it. So there's a few reasons why I chose this book, and they'll uh, kind of shine through as we study through it. Um, let's pray first. And like I said, I, I do think that um, either like this morning um, or a lot like this week, the Holy Spirit's just gonna like uh, I don't know. Just some people have just been praying for things for just a long time, and uh, I feel like. The Holy Spirit is going to give us clarity to people on some things they've been praying for. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what that clarity looks like, but I feel like there's going to be a clear conviction as far as, hey, this is what the Lord's saying about this particular situation. You're going to see less sign. So I'm pretty encouraged by that. Because I, I know that there's things that I've been praying for years. I mean, there's like a top five. There's like a top five things you've been praying for for a long time, just for years, laboring. So just from a, for selfish reasons, I'm excited to hear about it. Um, I hope you are too. It's okay to be selfish. That's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Holy Spirit, uh, I do uh, just pray and ask that you will speak to our hearts in a clear and convicting way. Um, we desire and we expect to hear from you. And I know, Father, that it's your great joy and great pleasure to talk to us, to encourage your children. Uh, to reinforce us, to build us up, to make us stronger. It's not something that we want to beg for, but you take great delight in building us up. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, that uh, you will do that. I know that's part of your plan, part of your good will. And I pray that we would be too distracted or too busy with other things during a very busy season, a very busy time. That we wouldn't be so busy and distracted to not hear your voice, especially on some things that have been in our hearts for a long time. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I wanted to break down just this one idea as, as we get through a soul poured out. It's kind of, that's the title of the message we're going to be talking about today. But if you can think about this one concept and kind of unpack as we go through, we won't cover every single dynamic of this sort of idea, but I think maybe we'll be able to get it just the whole time. Um, the difference between patiently persevering, everybody say patiently persevere. Patiently persevere. Yeah. That between being stupidly stubborn. <laughs> stupidly stubborn. Say stupidly stubborn. Yeah. So there's a difference there. You know, to patiently persevere and then being stupidly stubborn. It's a very fine line, but there is a line um, to where there's this persevere. I, I don't know. It's kind of a weird quality these days to come in contact with somebody that's actually persevered through some meaningful things in their life. I mean, truly persevered. 
to where if they, they had either an easy way or a difficult way to get out of it, but they chose not to because they knew that the right thing was to do. It's pretty rare to come across that type of person. So the Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit actually gives us an ability to persevere because this thing is not a sprint, it's a marathon. That's actually very foreign to a lot of people, this idea of really persevering through, perseverance. Because what happens at the heart of persevering is everything in our mind and within our flesh and with our abilities is melting. It's on overload. And it's all saying, stop, now, we're done, quit, this is over, too much, can't do it. And that's just continuous, it's just like rising to the surface, and you have like red warning lights going off. You know, it's like, ah! And that's kind of like persevering, like, persevering is able to push through that in the right way. Because right? some people kind of have the idea that persevering is, you know, just grit your teeth, get yourself through it, keep your chin up, and just kind of go. And you'll get a lot of ulcers through that process. That's not quite the idea. There's a patient persevering. Um, then there's a, stu- a stupidly stubborn. And that is one, so stupid stubborn, and, and, and I'm guilty of both of these. Probably most of you here have lived in both camps. You know both of them very well. So stupidly stubborn is, it's kind of like they won't do the hard work to sort of learn about the situation and gain perspective. Because there's a lot of work that typically has to be done when we're going through something, something's really burning in our hearts. There's some, there's some work to do there. It's like in the one we don't, we don't really quite like that feeling. It's, just, it's not a happy place really. It's, it's like hard, it's difficult. It's a lot of unanswered questions. The question of why comes up a lot seems to dominate the conversation, at least wants to. So we have to wrestle with that whole dynamic and then we start you know, thinking about it's all, it opens up a huge can of worms for us to <coughs> really struggling through something. And the the stupidly stubborn kind of just shuts off the important places. It just kind of keeps their head down and just kind of just drives through. And uh, it doesn't give much of a voice to really who is orchestrating the situation. Because the stupidly stubborn says, well, the God created me, he put me in this. I don't really want to hear much from him about how to move forward because this is not a good time right now. So I don't want to hear about it until late. I'd rather just do it wet. So there's like a different thing. And to be honest with you, at the heart of perseverance is stubbornness. It's saying no to the things that are not good and saying yes to the things that are. There's a stubborn quality involved in that. So it's like, how does that play out? What does that look like? Because us as Christians, like, it's good for us to understand and be familiar with when, I, when Jared is just being stubborn or Tabitha is just being stubborn or when it's time to, hey, no, this is what I persevere in. This is like, this is it. It is, yes, it looks stubborn to others, but this is a persevering time. So we're going to talk about some of that, and then 
as you get to this point in time, it's, it's, the context is huge, and that helps a lot. So the author of this book, many people, most people think it's Samuel, but kind of towards the end of the book, it talks about how Samuel died. So, how that works. <laughs> He's still writing up his dead. No, I so, did they think that maybe there's also another author in there about maybe like complement the book, or maybe there's a couple people that put it together? But the idea is that Israel, at this point in time, when it's first getting written, they're like away from their homeland. They're away from Israel. Other countries have come in, taken over, and they're in exile. Say exile. Exile. So while they're in exile, they're like, where's this God? Where's this God that parts the Red Sea? This whole line of David, that the Messiah is going to come through David. They're sitting in exile, being overrun by another country. Everything in front of them and everything around them is contradictory towards all the stories they've been told. Maybe some of us can relate to that. Oh, there's this God. We've heard stories and stories and stories. I'm like, okay, God, but now my life and us talk about stories. And they're kind of in that place. And so, either Samuel or whoever wrote it with them said, hey, we're going to write this letter to kind of encourage them and let them know and reinforce God's hand at the beginning, where he's at now, and where he's going to go. So that was the idea behind the authorship of the book, is really to encourage those in exile that were not in a great place. Um, at this point in time, there's never been a king of Israel. It's been led typically by one person. Um, really a voice from God. So it's very different than today. We can honor the relationship with God. They'll use other mature leaders and what they said, but you can approach God at any point in time. You don't need me. You don't need somebody else. We're encouraged to go to Him all the time because He wants to be in a relationship. He wants to be in this. Uh, but the set of the Old Testament is very different. So, the priesthood that stood in the gap for the people, usually with the leader, it was like totally defunct. <coughs> uh, basically, you know, everyone was um, compromised and they'd fallen into false ways of worship that God said, hey, don't do this. Uh, Moses had a law that he gave to Israel and said, hey, listen, if you follow God in this way, you prescribe to these things, God's going to bless you. Basically, he's from Israel. 
But his name is Elkanah. Everybody say Elkanah. Yeah, he's the son of Tohu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, the Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other Penanah. Penanah had children, but Hannah had none. Right, so who had no children? Hannah. Hannah, right? Hannah. Year after year, this man was a man. Elkanah. Elkanah. Went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. So Elkanah made it a habit year after year to go up, worship, and sacrifice to the place where they had to go. Because once a year, it was prescribed for them to go to a specific designated place. Um, that'd be like us, you know, saying, God told us, hey, listen, once a year, you have to go to Hartford, and you have to do things in Hartford, you know. God hasn't said that. Um, but that's like what it's like. And uh, when they would go up there, they'd come in contact with the two sons of Eli. Eli was uh, really the, the presiding priest over the nation. And he had two sons. What are the two sons' names? Hophni and... Phineas. Well, we're doing awesome. Alright, so Eli is the dad. Okay? Eli is the dad, and he's the priest. And he's got two sons, and the two sons' names are. There we go, right. Because that's they become a very important part of the story. Some of the reason why I bring them up and look at them. Okay, so verse 4. Whenever the day came for Elkanah, right, because our guy was the two wives, right? Whenever they came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. That's interesting when I talk about it. Verse 6. Because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her, though she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? I need fourteen and ten sons. Once when they had finished eating and drinking Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. She made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Anna was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord. 
and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah's wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. So we'll stop there. Um, so pretty interesting situation, right? So you have this guy up and was a priest, which right from the outset we know is maybe a little bit questionable and his priestly feelings because he's got two wives. That, that wasn't the way in Moses' law it was set up to do. Like I said, they, they were kind of far from what he was doing. So he's got two wives um, and their names are And Penina is the one that's just jabbing, right? She uh, is the one that's got the children. And Hannah, I understand her name is gracious, um, she doesn't have any. And, uh, you know, it's interesting how sometimes that works in life where sometimes people are just like, just ugly disposition, crappy character, and it seems that they get everything. <coughs> the only thing that makes that worse is when those particular people that rub it in the face. <laughs> and Hannah's getting that, and she can't run away from it. It's in her family, so it's like. So you can just imagine, and the Bible describes it as year after year. This is not a couple of weeks, it's not a couple of months, it's year after continuous, continuous. Being provoked and irritated, probably also dealing with, right, your woman in her shoes, probably also dealing with, like, what kind of woman am I? Yeah, what, what can I offer? What, what do I bring to this family? If anything, it's just frustrating. Like, why would you even have me marry this man? And probably the deal was he married her first. And when found out that she couldn't have any kids, he marries Penina. And now she's the one so far to where really the family is going to continue. So she struggles. This is a difficult issue. Her heart is completely set on something and, and it's not playing out. In fact, it kind of seems worse. And it's constantly being rubbed in her face that it's not working out for her. Just a crappy situation, right? Mm-hmm. Not a good one at the end. So then... The husband doesn't really quite know how to deal with it. It's like, you know, I, you know, why so upset? And it's like, he doesn't know. So he gives her more meat. You know? <laughs> that, that's his way to sort of be compassionate and understand it. He's, I mean, more to you than ten sons. So he's like, he doesn't know what to do, obviously. He's a priest, but he's pretty clueless as far as really what to do and what to bring to the situation. So then, he's just kind of losing it goes over to the temple and just prays. Uh, not a huge demonstrative on her face, nothing. In fact, it's just in her heart. She's not even praying out loud. And then that priest, Eli, just accused her of being drunk, probably not necessarily saying that. That's his first thought and assumption. We're going to find out later on that yeah, they have a lot of problems. But that probably also gives us an idea of the kind of people that are in that setting. It's probably pretty normal for them just to show up to their sacrifices and do their religious duty drunk or whatever. Because then they just had to do it. So they did. Because 
because the religion got boiled down to a series of ritualistic routines that they had to check off. So probably, probably not that far off. I mean, that's what he's been doing. And now we actually get somebody that's honestly and sincerely crying out. <laughs> but it's like somebody jumped. Yeah. With God. So then, she tells him, no, actually, no, I'm crying out to the Lord. Praying that he opens up, you know, my womb. Because it's pretty clear from what is in the text that God had closed it up. Like, God closed it. So, did the devil do it? Did he cast demons out of her? No. No demon got cast out of her. The devil was a volcano worm, but no, I'm going back to it. I'm just showing you an observation of the passage so far. And so then, what happened? Is that he like kind of changes his tone? He says, "Okay, what's the question? Yeah, I hope he answers and makes favor of the kind." Is that thing? And then says, "Okay, so no longer down, guys." Right? And then she left, and then she ends up getting pregnant. It's awesome. Um, so I just want to share a couple of what I just said. Just a couple of things on here. Um, and one thing that I felt like the Lord just really wanted us to uh, hone in on. Um, prayer born out of sorrow and suffering is a really good thing. Prayer, prayer born out of sorrow and suffering is a really good and healthy thing. And what it does is it truly moves heaven to respond. Interesting phrase is in there, Lord remembered. Do you think that God ever forgot? He never forgot. And repeatedly, through His Word, He's dealt with women who were barren. And each time, He did this with Jacob's wife, <coughs> Isaac's wife. Right? Each time, He said, and the Lord remembered. He never forgot. Never did. He always heard their prayer. But he was doing a significant work in them to develop them, to create a relationship with them that probably would never have been there in any other circumstance. If they immediately just got what they wanted. So, the other interesting thing about this is that her sorrowful and painful heart, she continued to bring before God because she had, for whatever reason, great confidence that God wanted her to continue to pray for this impossibility. She felt an incredibly strong conviction year after year, after lack of result, after lack of result. She felt a firm conviction to not stop. They got a place within her heart to say, hey, pray for a son, pray for a son, pray for a son. That to me kind of blows me away and it's also very encouraging. It's very much normal and God will very often place things in our hearts. Maybe he's already placed things in your hearts. There are things within... See, there's like there's some there's stuff inside of us. We're kind of like, well, you know, I don't, you know, I'll pray, and we'll kind of see, and 
just kind of loosey-goosey a little bit. And then there's some that maybe like we're a little tied around and like, man, I, God, I hope I want to bring this in. I want to talk to them about this. I want to include I want to. There might be one, two, maybe a handful, a few things that right now, specifically, like is in and on your heart. It's absolutely the call to not forget the things that are definitively on your hearts and to believe it in such a way that God put them there so you don't stop. I'm telling you, that's the most significant thing this entire week from praying within this passage. I felt like that was such a gimme on like Monday. God was like, hey, share with my people. Don't give up on something that's significantly important that I place on their heart. People in this room, myself included, where there's just things that you just you know, just pray for, and like you can get onto like a good streak for a while, and then it just kind of you know falls off for whatever reason. Jesus was really clear when he said, "Continue to ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock." One of the greatest testimonies that you and I will have as Christians is a testimony of answered prayer. And, and they're going to go more than, you know, so-and-so is nice to me today. Or, uh, you know, so-and-so gave me a nice encouraging word today. Those are good, and those are still answers to prayers that whoever needs them in whatever situation. I'm saying also, expect those, but also leave room for, leave room for the Holy Spirit to put ridiculous nonsense on your heart. And to pray year after year after year. Nobody wants to hear that. That's called patiently persevering. Not stupidly stubborn. Patiently persevering comes with the confidence. God, you have put, I can't shake this thing. You must have put this on my heart. I cannot shake it. And I will wrestle with you in this until I hear from you. <coughs> It's an amazing scene in the Old Testament when Abraham comes in contact with an angel and he's like, listen, I need a blessing. You need a blessing. And some people like, you know, they don't like some people coming to God like that. You need a blessing. You need a blessing. You know, it happens. And a popular saying is, listen, when you get to the hand, you're looking for the hand of Jesus, just look up and you'll find his face. Like, seeking the blessing. Some people, yeah, they just come to God looking for a blessing. That's the reality. It's interesting how God many times he also responds. Not every time. Many times he does. But if our only reason to come to him is to get something, then God is the best time to work. It won't take long to figure that out. Just try. But it's very interesting how she left. She was no longer sad. She was no longer downcast. She was no longer discouraged. When she had Samuel... No. That's not when she started to feel better. 
That's not when things started to shift inside of her. Things shifted and they changed inside of her. After she was done praying and she felt like God's favor was then placed upon her. She didn't get any of her answer. She didn't get her yes or her no or the son of her. She didn't even get it. Herself, 
Nothing out loud. Just there's a wreck. And it literally changed the entire course of the entire nation. Because once Samuel gets in charge, the entire nation goes a totally different direction. And now it sets up the line for King David.
that's totally legal too. But uh, that's, that's where he's going to have Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts now, Lord, as um, we just talk to you and cry out to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, make it clear to people, those of us in this room, of things that you want us to continue to be consistent for and persevering for as we pray. If it's stuff we're just being stubborn about, I pray you reveal that to us and so we can stop wasting time. And for the things that matter, I pray that you fill our hearts with a sense of your clear conviction. Thank you. 